All right, welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Final Final Podcast. Very excited about this episode. We have two weeks of NFL football to catch up on with week three approaching this upcoming Sunday, which means we have two weeks of overreactions and blown way out of proportion opinions to go through on teams just two weeks into the season. So I'm going to dive into those in this episode today. I'll tell you which teams I think are going to be fine. Maybe they started a little slow in these first two games. A couple of teams that, yeah, there's some concern there going forward. And then maybe a couple of more teams that it's like, all right, two weeks in, we have some major concerns. Nothing that is season-ending yet for any of these teams. Don't let anybody tell you that. But there are some big concerns for some teams, and it doesn't look good for them going forward for the rest of the season. Of course, nothing detrimental to the season yet. So let's go ahead. And then at the end, we'll talk some fantasy football. We even have some baseball at the end of this one. Two historic performances coming up to end this season for the MLB with Aaron Judge and Albert Pujols. We'll definitely talk about that come the end of this episode. Let's start, though, with the NFL. Like I said, two weeks in, a lot of overreactions, blown out of proportion opinions in just two games that we're going to have to sift through right now. Some teams worthy of panic. I don't think any team should necessarily be full-on panicking, but there's some teams right on the edge of panicking right out of the gate here with, with two games. Like I said, though, there are some way, way overreactions for some of these teams. I mean, for example, we've done this with the Packers now for two or three years in a row with how they get blown out in week one. Then we look at how much better they look in week two. So we'll start right there with the Green Bay Packers. And we'll start with this first category of teams, I think, they might have gotten off to a slow start, still going to be fine even if they don't look as great as we were hoping in these first two games. And, of course, let's start with the Packers. Aaron Rodgers has said this is going to take a little bit of time with these new receivers. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, some of these new guys like that. Of course, having a drop touchdown on the first play from the Packers offense in week one isn't great for Christian Watson. Now it's just about to see how he responds going forward. And he's obviously going to get a lot more targets, going to get a lot more opportunities Sammy Watkins of the Green Bay Packers now out for the next month. That was just announced today. So these young guys are going to be getting a lot of reps early in the season, which is good. Hopefully you can get iron out some of these chemistry connection issues. Hopefully they can get on some sort of good page by the time it really counts in December and January, which the Packers are, of course, hoping to get to. In the meantime, what they did against the Bears in Week 2, the Green Bay Packers, should be the formula for the Packers going forward. A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones should be getting at least 15 touches a game, close to 20, whether that's passes out of the backfield or rushing attempts. And then the Packers will find it easier then to get the ball down field to these young guys when they need to. It doesn't have to be the Aaron Rodgers. It's obviously not going to be the Aaron Rodgers show because he doesn't have Devontae Adams, a guy like that, where those two are just on the same page no matter what the defense is showing. Just no matter what, those guys were on the same page, could have connected on any pass. We saw this last year with the Packers when they lost horribly to the Saints in Week 1. They came back and they were the one seed in the NFC. I expect them to continue to get better on offense through the season. We saw it in Week 2. That's a good formula for the Packers, at least early on in the season. And then, hey, maybe even into December when you can wear down teams with an A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones 
a running offense like this. When two of your best offensive players are running backs, these guys should be getting a majority of the touches. Aaron Rodgers said that after week one. We saw it in week two. Aaron Jones goes for over 170 total yards. A.J. Dillon still has over, I believe, 60 to 65 rushing yards to contribute as well. This is the way. If those guys can combine for 200 yards a game, over 200 yards a game, that is a very good formula for the Packers. I think, like I said, their offense should continue to get better throughout the season. That's how it works for the Green Bay Packers. And then their defense this year should continue to be a top unit in the NFL. They just need to be consistent week in and week out. They can't have performances like what they had in week one against the Vikings. I mean, you literally have all offseason. You know who's going to be the guy. It's going to be Justin Jefferson, and you somehow still let that guy go for 170 receiving yards and two touchdowns. That's something that the Packers can't do if they want to be Super Bowl contenders this year. The defense has to be stout almost every week. Because the offense is going to be lacking to start this season here. And I don't know. I mean, Aaron Rodgers can win you a couple games, obviously, because he's Aaron Rodgers. But the defense cannot have lapses like that, whether it's Joe Barry and, and the defensive calls that he made in that one, or it's the, the Packers and the communication issues. They shouldn't have many communication issues. There is a lot of returning starters on this defense, and it's not their first year in a new system. They can't be having that, what they did against the Vikings. And then you, of course, saw a better Packers defense against the Bears. Not comparing apples to apples there with the offenses in the Bears and the Vikings, but that's the kind of defensive performance that the Packers need to see week in and week out. We're going to see now what they can do against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are going to be very light on talent on the offense. It's going to be Tom Brady throwing to a bunch of nobodies, really. And I mean, you got Rashad Perriman. Russell Gage, Cole Beasley, I know who. I mean, Mike Evans is going to be suspended for this one. Chris Godwin is still out. Julio Jones is still out as well. And then the offensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is having a lot of struggles right now, too, with some guys like the center, starting center Ryan Jensen out, a couple of the guards out as well, possibly left tackle Donovan Smith missing this game as well. So the Packers defense has a chance to dominate this game against Tom Brady as well and we'll see what the Packers can do if their offense continue I mean their their offense might struggle in this one with a top three defensive unit in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and so we'll see if their defense with a lack of a lot of superstars on that Buccaneers offense no Mike Evans no Chris Godwin obviously no more Rob Gronkowski on that team either no Julio Jones he's already injured we'll see what the Packers can do in week three in Tampa Bay another team might have. I don't necessarily think this is a slow start, but they're 1-1 one one when you think they should be 2-0 is the Ravens. I have absolutely no concern with the Ravens. Had the Dolphins that whole game in Week 2. I mean, I produced this game. That was the, the, the Ravens were firing on all cylinders, and then all of a sudden had some communication issues in the back end of their defense secondary. They got a rookie, Kyle Hamilton, back there, and Tua Tugavailoa and the Dolphins just had an absolutely historic comeback. Largest blown lead in Ravens history. I expect the Ravens to come out this week facing the New England Patriots and put last week behind them. The Ravens are usually known for a defensive team. They have Lamar Jackson on the offensive side now as well, but this is a defensive unit. They take a lot of pride in being a defensive team as well, so I think they are going to try to avenge last week's historic blown lead. And the Ravens are still should be heavy favorites in the AFC North 
as Lamar has looked crazy good to start the season, as many expected, including myself. And the rest of the AFC North has kind of struggled out of the gate here to begin the season. So I have no problems with the Ravens. Same thing with this next team, the Chargers. Chiefs are a very, very good team. The only concern is that Justin Herbert doesn't have to miss time because then the Chargers should still be fine if Herbert doesn't have to miss any time with that. I believe it's broken cartilage, rib cartilage. He's questionable coming into week three. He's had a couple of extra days off because they played on Thursday in week two. Hopefully he's able to go, but the Chargers have looked very good to start this season. I mean, I know it didn't look like it in week one. The scoreboard against the Raiders was close, but they it, it seemed like a pretty easy win against the Raiders in week one. And then the Chargers were right there with the Chiefs until Herbert got hurt. And even when he got hurt, he was still able to deliver a touchdown and stuff like that. So the Chargers, I don't, I'm not concerned about unless there is, of course, a long-term injury with Justin Herbert. Say he does play in week three here against the Jaguars and he gets hit and it does even more damage and then he's out for an extended period of time. Obviously, that goes for all of these teams when you lose a superstar quarterback. It's going to change the outlook of your season, but I'm not too worried about the Chargers as long as Justin Herbert is still on the field. They should be getting Keenan Allen back this week as well. So Chargers are a team I'm not worried about. The Broncos... Now, this one, some people might be panicking with the Broncos already. Give me at least two to three more weeks on the Broncos before we start to panic. I mean, this is a first-time head coach with a brand-new quarterback that he has not been working with ever in the building. Let them work out a couple of the kinks that they have right now. I think that they're just they're just learning each other. They're learning how to work together. By week four, five, or six, if these problems, these same problems that they've had, week one, where they didn't know what they were doing, clock management, they were going to try a 64-yard field goal. I mean, yeah, obviously, if, if he makes it, we're talking about a different story. But, I mean, come on. That's the second longest field goal in NFL history. Week two, they had some of the same problems with clock management, game management in terms of where they, I mean, what the score is, how much time is left on the clock, what the down is, going forward on fourth down, if they should or not, taking too much time. This is just a couple of the kinks, I think, right now, if by week four, five, and six, they're still having a lot of these problems. They're, say it's week six, and they're two and four, or they're three and three, and it's because of a lot of these problems still going on. That's when it's time to worry big time. This is a very talented team, and I think they're going to figure it out coming up here. They play the, who do they, is it the 49ers this week? Broncos 49ers on Sunday Night Football. This will be a good test. See if they can, they'll be in prime time. So Nathaniel Hackett will be in prime time once again, and we'll see if they can start to work out some of these kinks. But by week four, five, or six, if a lot of these problems that have persisted these first two weeks are still there by week five, we'll say, then it's time to worry about the Broncos going forward. And then the Cardinals. This was a team I was about to say, yeah, you should be a little bit worried about the Cardinals going forward for this season. But then Kyler Murray, out of absolutely nowhere, Pulls off a 20-point comeback himself. And could and to me, I think this could galvanize their early season struggles. After a blowout in week one to the Chiefs, they have another, I mean, another team has a historic comeback in week two. And I think the Cardinals can use this to turn their early season struggles around. I mean, the first six quarters of football from the Arizona Cardinals were just horrible. It was atrocious to watch. And then Kyler Murray, I don't know what happened. He just decided to take it over himself. I mean, him and Marquise Hollywood Brown 
haven't been connecting like you've seen some of these other college quarterback wide receiver duos reuniting obviously Derek Carr Devontae Adams come to mind if those two can start to just get a little bit more a little bit more each week then I think the Cardinals can start I mean it's it's you can't turn around your season in week two but they were heading in the wrong direction very quickly very early and that 20 point comeback I think that is something that I mean without DeAndre Hopkins a lot of questions were coming up for the Cardinals and I think they can they can use that that comeback as a point where it's like hey we can do this. We can compete with a lot of these teams in the NFL, and they'll have a test this upcoming week as they face the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams in Arizona. They went 1-1 one one against them last year. This is the team that also kicked them out of the playoffs a season ago. So we'll see if the Cardinals can use this 20-point comeback against the Raiders last week and just ride that momentum going forward. Hopefully they can win a couple more games. DeAndre Hopkins comes back, and then boom, they're off to the races. We'll see. That's why I'm not too concerned about the Cardinals right now. I think that 20-point comeback is going to be huge for them going forward. So those are a couple of the teams I'm not too worried about as uh, the season gets started here. A couple teams that, that have some worries and concerns for me early on in this season. First one is the Rams. They're 1-1, one one, got absolutely blown out by the Buffalo Bills in Week 1 at home. Then in week two, they had a big lead on the Atlanta Falcons of all teams. And the Falcons were able to come back within one score at the end of that game, making the Rams sweat that one out to get their first win of the season. Matthew Stafford, I'm not sure if he's, I mean, we were talking about the elbow issues before the season started. He's got five interceptions already in the first two games of the season this year. Five interceptions in two games is not going to work all season. It will catch up to the Rams, even when they play just against decent teams. I mean, it almost caught up to them against the Falcons, who are going to be one of the bottom teams in the league this year. I'm not sure if he's still having elbow issues, Matthew Stafford, or what it is, but he has led the NFL in interceptions since he moved to Los Angeles and became a Ram. And we know Matthew Stafford throws plenty of picks. He did it in Detroit. Is that something that they have to worry about for the rest of the season. Hopefully it's nothing with his elbow that's going to be long-term for this season. But that's just something that's a little bit concerning to me for the Rams right now. They have no running game that they can really hang their hat on as well, so they have to throw it a ton with Stafford. And he's just been turning it over a lot. He's had five straight regular season games with at least two interceptions. I believe that's the longest streak since like 2000, or it's tied for the longest streak with Jameis Winston. You don't want to be on the same list as Jameis Winston because it's probably going to involve interceptions. So the Rams, just a little bit of a concern there with Matthew Stafford. They're still 1-1. One one. I put the Buccaneers in this category as well, just a little bit concerned. I mean, they have injuries all over this team. I was just talking about it before because they're facing the Packers this weekend. Offensive line and wide receiver issues. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones not playing this upcoming week against the Green Bay Packers. The offensive line, Donovan Smith, their starting left tackle, is questionable coming into this one. They've already lost a starting center and a starting offensive guard. Tom Brady also, the thing that concerns me is he just looks exhausted because of his personal life. There's been a lot of, of talk with Tom and it whether him and Giselle are having problems at home, that's not something I'm going to talk about. It's just because, and the reason that's been brought up is because Tom retired 
or yeah, he retired and then he decided to come back for another season and possibly even more than one season. And that has been rumored that is something that Giselle was not happy with. So that could be something that has, has been wearing on Tom Brady. I mean, you remember the quote where he said, we're all going through shit. And he's even even at press conferences just looks a little bit exhausted, more than just football exhausted, but just personally exhausted as well. So that could be a little bit of a concern. And like I said, Mike Evans is out this week dealing with a suspension. The good news, though, for the Buccaneers, which is why is not something you should panic it's just something that is, hey, this is something if this persists throughout the season, could be a worry when the time comes that we we don't want it. We don't want any distractions. We don't want any problems. We just wouldn't, you know what I mean? The good news for the Bucks, though, they're 2-0. and They have a top three defense in the NFL. Absolutely one of the best units in the NFL. And they still have Tom Brady, who you can't discount until it's official that they are out of it. Never count him out. We've done it. Too many times in the past, and he has made us pay every time. A lot going against them right now, but they still have an advantage in their division and will probably be okay. Mike Evans will return. Hopefully Chris Godwin gets back healthy for them, and then all of a sudden they'll probably start firing on all cylinders, and the Buccaneers will, again, look like one of the top teams in the NFL. They are one of the top teams in the NFL right now, 2-0. and but their offense hasn't looked the same as a year ago. Thankfully, they have a top three defense in the league. And, of course, they still have Tom Brady. But if Tom Brady is dealing with personal things off the field that are distracting him or that are just waning on him, then that could be a different story for the Buccaneers. And you hope that he can sort through that and come out on the better side of it. But that's why I have the Buccaneers in this just a, just a little bit to be worried about again. Like I said, they're 2-0. and Absolutely no the, no one should be panicking about the Buccaneers because they have a couple of injured offensive linemen and a bunch of receivers down. It's week three, remember, and they're 2-0 and still. And then the 49ers, they're 1-1. One one. They had a, there was a big panic after week one when they lost to the Chicago Bears in Chicago. That was just a freak loss, I think, with all that weather. If you didn't see the puddles and just everything on that Chicago field. Oh my gosh, that was just an embarrassment of a of a stadium that the NFL had to put out there between the 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 49ers and the Bears. Now they're going to be without Trey Lance for the rest of the season, so they have to turn back to Jimmy G. We'll talk about the Trey Lance injury in a little bit coming up. But they turn back to Jimmy G as their starting quarterback. Remember we talked about how he took a pay cut. Trey Lance goes down with an injury. And here we are with Jimmy G back leading the 49ers. So we know what this team is capable of. We know they've been to the NFC Championship game twice with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. The question is, can they get over the hump with Jimmy Garoppolo? That's what the concern is. That's why he they're in this little bit of a, yeah, this is something to be worried about because you know what Jimmy G is. He probably won't be able to step up in the big moment to win you a game. You might win with Jimmy Garoppolo. But it's rare, and he's had he's won games where he's had to go out and perform big time. But it's rare for Jimmy Garoppolo to be the sole reason that you won a game. Where some of these other quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert, oh, that guy went out and he won you the football game. So we know what the ceiling is with the 49ers, and that's the only reason you didn't know what the ceiling was with Trey Lance, even if they were a little bit worse off this season. With Trey Lance as the starting quarterback, it made sense because this team 
the 49ers was supposed to be built to compete for Super Bowls years down the line. Trey Lance, if they had made the playoffs this year and won a playoff game, that would have been great. Next year, now you got a now you now you're a Super Bowl contender. Trey Lance in your second full season starting. Now Trey Lance is going to be missing basically his first two years in the league. He missed almost all of the 2020 season in college due to COVID. And he's just losing a lot of playing time these past three years and now because of injury as well. Again, 49ers are 1-1 one one on the season. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know what you're going to get. You're prob- they're probably going to be a playoff team in the NFC for sure. But you know what the ceiling is. You know where you get kind of capped off with Jimmy Garoppolo, and that's just a little bit of a worry. Here's a couple of teams that I have some. It's not detrimental. It's not season-ending for these teams yet, but there are a lot of concerns for these two, these not two, these couple of teams here to start the season. You got the Indianapolis Colts, the Las Vegas Raiders, Cincinnati Bengals, Tennessee Titans, Dallas Cowboys, and New England Patriots. All of these teams, except for the Colts, were playoff teams a year ago, and we were expecting the Colts to be a playoff team this year. I certainly picked them to win the AFC South Division. So let's start with the Colts. They have, in the first two weeks, played the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do you know where those two teams picked in the NFL draft a season ago? The Jacksonville Jaguars selected first overall. The Houston Texans selected third overall. So you're like, oh, so the Colts must be 2-0 and to start the season. No. Tying the Houston Texans and then getting shut out, scoring zero points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You are 0-1-1 to start the season. Obviously some concerns there. Matt Ryan, now the Colts have to face the Kansas City Chiefs, who look like one of the top two teams in the NFL. I mean, you were expecting both teams to be 2-0 and for this matchup, this to be, wow, this is a big AFC matchup early in the season here. Could this be a playoff preview? Possibly two division winners. Now the Colts are going to be facing an 0-2-1 start on the season that they had a lot of hope for with a new quarterback in Matt Ryan who has struggled out of the gate. Three interceptions against the Jaguars, and they come away with a tie against the Houston Texans. I know these teams might have improved a little bit, but the Houston Texans haven't improved that much. The Jaguars got a new coach, so they were definitely due for a big improvement. But the Colts are such a much more talented team, and here they sit at 0-1-1. Very concerning. Obviously not season-ending because their division, nobody's going to run away with it. Right now, the leading the division is the Jacksonville Jaguars at 1-1. And the other team in their division that's very concerning is the Tennessee Titans. 0-2 to start the season. Here's a stat for you. Only 11.6% of teams that start the season 0-2 make the playoffs. Since 1990, since the, the, the playoff restructure. If you start 0-2, you have an 11.6% chance to make the playoffs. If you start 0-3, I believe it is a 2.5% chance to make the playoffs since 1990. 2.5%. And the Tennessee Titans play the I'm sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders who have also started the season 0 and 2. So one of these teams is going to start the season 0 and 3 unless they tie, but I'm not banking on a tie. 
The Titans, Derrick Henry doesn't look the same as last year before the injury and the year prior when he went for 2,000 yards. And I don't think it's an injury thing. Is it just, hey, all these touches? Derrick Henry was averaging like 400 touches a season. That's a ton. That's so many for a running back. Are they all starting to catch up with him right now? Once he gets going, that's when the Titans get going. That's what that's what gets this offense rolling. It's not Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm sorry, not Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's an analyst now. Ryan Tannehill. <laughs> he is not the thing that gets this offense going. Derrick Henry, once he opens up and gets rolling down the field, that opens up everything then for Ryan Tannehill. And Derrick Henry has not looked like the Derrick Henry that we know. I thought Derrick Henry would return to form, mostly because this was an injury on his foot that wasn't going to be anything that was supposed to be lingering. He actually returned last season, and I thought, hey, he basically had half a season off. He basically had half a season off last year. He was going to come into this year refreshed, ready to go. I thought he was going to get another 2,000 yards this year, but he has started very poorly to the year, and I think that is a huge reason why the Titans have started 0-2. For the team they are playing, the Las Vegas Raiders, I don't know what's happened with them. They didn't look very good against the Chargers. And then just blowing a 20, a 16-point lead in the fourth quarter to the Arizona Cardinals. Now you have an 11.6% chance to make the playoffs. And you're facing another 0-2 team that is just as desperate as you to avoid an 0-3 start. So there's a big-time worry there for these playoff teams with the Raiders and the Titans. You don't want to start 0-3. You have a 2.5% chance to make the playoffs if you start 0-3. And the Raiders, I think for the Titans, if they start 0-3, their chances of making the playoffs are still better than if the Raiders started 0-3 because they are in an absolutely brutal division. The Chiefs are 2-0. The Chargers are 1-1. And as long as Justin Herbert doesn't miss any time, I think they're a playoff team. The Broncos are working through some issues early on in the season, but if they start to get rolling, they're one and one right now. I think they are a potential playoff team, maybe a seventh seed if they get it together here. And that just leaves the Raiders on the outside looking in already at 0-2 with a division loss to the Chargers. That's a big worry for the Raiders. Not panic, not end of season yet. Like I said, they could go on a run. But you've seen the odds, I've told you already, 11.6%. After starting 0-2 and 2.5% and when you start 0-3. So a big-time worry there for the Raiders. Bengals are another team. 0-2 start the season. Losses to the Steelers and to the Cowboys when the Cowboys lost Dak Prescott. But the biggest thing for them is they still cannot protect Joe Burrow. Are you kidding me? You spent all this money in the offseason. You got four brand-new starters on that offensive line to go along with a first-round pick, Jonah Williams at left tackle. And Joe Burrow is still on a historic pace for getting sacked in a season. Through two games, I believe he's been sacked 13 times. That's insane. That is a huge concern for the Bengals. Because like I said, this AFC is loaded. You've got the Chiefs. You've got the Bills. You've got the Chargers. Well, actually, there's some opening. You've got the Ravens. The Bengals are now 0-2. The Ravens look really good to start the year. 
And if you can't protect Joe Burrow, you're risking every time he takes a snap that it's going to be a season-ending injury. We've already seen one year missed from Joe Burrow. We don't want to see anymore. This is the team that made the Super Bowl last year. I thought they would struggle this season because they weren't going to come out of nowhere and have just an and just surprise everybody. That was a huge it's not a one and done I think for the Bengals, but I did not think they were going to be able to repeat the success they had last year. But I did not expect them to struggle this much this early to begin the season against two teams that they I believe were favored against and should have beaten. So there's there's some concern there for the Bengals if they can't get these offensive line issues solved. Again, none of these are hit the full-on panic button, season's over, pack it up, let's go home, we'll see you in 2023. None of these teams are at that point yet, but there are some major concerns for these teams going forward. I still think the Bengals can make the playoffs. One of the Colts or the Titans is still going to make the playoffs for the AFC South because I don't think, I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars look good to start this season, weirdly look good, but I don't think they have the talent. I think once a couple of these teams figure it out, so I think a couple of these, but the Raiders are in some trouble. Titans are in some, another team here. The Cowboys are in some trouble, losing Dak Prescott week one to a throwing hand on his throwing hand, his thumb injury. How long can the can the Cowboys actually survive with their backup, Cooper Rush? Yeah, last week was a nice win against the Bengals. Your defense carried you certainly, but the Eagles in their division look really, really good. And I don't think they're going to be facing teams where their defense can just take over. I mean, they're going to be facing the two, the 2-0 and Giants, actually, on Monday night in Week 3 here. But eventually their defense is not going to be able to win them games, and they need Dak Prescott back sooner rather than later, of course. So that's a concern there for the Cowboys. And then the Patriots. They just seem to be lacking talent all over this team. Now the Dolphins are a threat in their division to take second place behind the Buffalo Bills. They don't have the number one shutdown defensive unit anymore. And like I said, their offense, this team just seems to be lacking a bunch of talent or talent really anywhere on this roster. So those are the, those are the teams that I'm, I'm more concerned of, more concerned with, I should say, to start this season. Of course, I'm not, it's not season ending. You'll hear everybody say the season's over for the Bengals, season's over for the Raiders, season's over for the Titans. It's not over, but there are some major concerns that we've seen after two weeks that make you say, hmm, if they don't get this fixed soon, then it will be too late. It doesn't take long, (laughs) especially if there's some teams that start out on fire for a team to fall too far behind. So you don't want that to linger as the season goes on for a lot of these teams. you they got to protect Joe Burrow. The Colts got to figure out. I mean, I don't even know what the problem is with the Colts. But 0-1-1 against teams of the Texans and Jaguars. Raiders looked like they were on their way to a 1-1, and and now that could be just a detrimental loss in Week 2, giving up a 20-point lead, a 16-point fourth-quarter lead. And then the Titans got to get Derrick Henry going as well. Here are the teams, though, that have just come out of the gate on fire in the first two weeks. The Buffalo Bills, duh. But, I mean, like, we we expected the Bills to be very good this year. But, I mean, you take on the defending Super Bowl champs, the Los Angeles Rams, in their house in Los Angeles. You travel across the country, 
and you beat them, what was it, 34 to 13 or something like that? Just an absolute blowout in prime time. Wow, you look good. Okay, wow, that was week one. Week two, you take on the number one seeded AFC Tennessee Titans. You take them on in week two, and you absolutely manhandle them. I think they scored almost they scored 40 points, no? Absolutely manhandling teams these first two weeks. And these aren't teams that they should win. You expected them to win, but not by this much against teams that are playoff contending teams this year. I mean, it's the Super Bowl defending champs. The Buffalo Bills look absolutely unreal to start the season. Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, that connection is unbelievable right now. That's possibly the top quarterback wide receiver duo in the NFL this season already. They look absolutely unbelievable. Their defense now is going to have some struggles going forward. They just lost Micah Hyde, their star safety for the season. They're still missing Jadavius White, Jordan Poyer. He may miss week three as well. Dane Jackson had that scary injury in week two. So he's going to be missing a couple games as well. And they might be missing a couple guys along the defensive front, Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips. So this defense is going to have to rally. This is a very deep Buffalo Bills team as well, which makes it even scarier. But wow, they look really good to start the season. Another team that has impressed me a ton to begin the season is the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, they have talent all over the place, and especially what they did week two Monday night against the Vikings. Darius Slay shut down possibly the best wide receiver in the NFL in Justin Jefferson. Guarding Justin Jefferson, he had two interceptions. You know how many receptions Justin Jefferson had? He had one. When Darius Slay was covering Justin Jefferson, he had one reception. Darius Slay had two interceptions. They have talent all over this defense. They have a great defensive front as well. They can get after the quarterback. They have an, I was going to say elite. I'm not sure if it's elite yet, but it's a very, very good secondary led by Darius Slay. And then you have a quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who we all had questions about going into the season. Can he take that next step with all this talent surrounding him of A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, a monster run game scheme with the likes of Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, and Jalen Hurts' running ability as well? Can he take that step to lead this very talented Philadelphia Eagles team? He has stepped up so far. This is incredible. There is no... I remember we were talking about in the offseason, if Hurts didn't step up, He was going to be replaced. The Eagles have two first-round picks next year, and they were likely going to go for a quarterback if Jalen Hurts wasn't the guy. Now it doesn't look fair that they have two first-round picks to add to this already very talented Philadelphia Eagles team. I mean, is it too much to compare Hurts' jump to a Josh Allen-like jump? I mean, there's two guys that I think could make a Josh Allen-like jump not the same and be on par with Josh Allen. He's one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the league right now. But Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa, who we'll get to in a second, have a chance to make a jump like Josh Allen did in their third season. I mean, you trade for a new top 10 to 15 wide receiver, you have a top flight defense, and your accuracy starts improving. That sounds like what Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa are doing right now, and that's what Josh Allen did in his third year as well. I mean, especially, you can compare that they're both extremely mobile quarterbacks. It's not uncanny to make this connection that Jalen Hurts could have a breakout season like Josh Allen did in his third year. I really like the Philadelphia Eagles right now, especially, I mean, 
Yes, the New York Giants are 2-0 and right now. I don't expect that to be a thing, a theme going forward this season. But the Philadelphia Eagles look very impressive. They don't knock on wood, don't have any injuries right now. They look like, honestly, probably the best team in the NFC through two weeks. Now, you, I, I told you to not overreact to the first two weeks for some teams that were struggling. Obviously, we can't overreact on the other side now with a couple of these teams. But the Philadelphia Eagles, for, through two weeks, look like a very good team. If Jalen Hurts keeps this up, they have the potential for a very deep playoff run. I think they will be able to compete with the likes of the Buccaneers, the Packers, the Rams, the 49ers. If Jalen, Hur- Jalen Hurts is the key... He's got to keep improving, but what I've seen these first two weeks, whatever he did this offseason to take that big step, it has been working. They have been a very exciting team to watch. The Dolphins are another team that have been very exciting. Is Tua going to solidify himself as a franchise quarterback? The Dolphins and the Eagles are in very similar situations. Obviously, the Eagles, I think, were more of a, hey, if Jalen Hurts is ready, this team is ready. I'm not sure if the Dolphins, I mean, the Dolphins are in a, insanely tough AFC as well but Tua had a lot of question marks coming in they traded for a top 10 15 top 10 wide receiver in Tyreek Hill and they were expecting a big jump from Tua and he's shown it in these first two weeks win against the Patriots and then just a historic almost legendary comeback for Tua against the Baltimore Ravens here I mean are you kidding me four touchdown passes in the fourth quarter over 450 yards passing, six touchdowns for the game. That ties Hall of Famer Dan Marino. That ties Hall of Famer Bob Greasy for the franchise record for the Dolphins is six touchdown passes, and four of them came in the fourth quarter. I mean, I did not think that they would be a legit playoff contender this season with how strong the AFC looked on paper, on paper, remember now, to begin the season. But through these first two games, we've seen a lot of teams in the AFC, stumble out of the gate. Like I mentioned, the Raiders, the Titans, the Colts, the Bengals, and the Patriots a little bit. With those teams struggling out of the gate and the Dolphins coming out firing, starting 2-0 against the Patriots who made the playoffs last year, against the Ravens in legendary fashion, who we expect to be a playoff team this year. I mean, I mean, that's a potential huge tiebreaker win over the Ravens as well if it comes down the stretch. Mike McDaniel, his first year as a head coach, I like their first two weeks from the Dolphins. Now this upcoming week, they face the Bills, which could show us two things. I think this game could show us two things. It seems like a win-win situation for me for the Dolphins because I don't think we're expecting them to necessarily beat the Bills. They They could. It's any given Sunday. The, the Dolphins could absolutely beat the Bills, but the Bills look very good right now. But win-win situation, I think, for the Dolphins. If they can hang with the Bills, especially after what we've seen from them their first two weeks, that would be impressive, even if they lose by 7, if they lose by 3, if they lose by 10. That's hanging with the Bills. Nobody's been within, I don't know, is it 20 points? Has, has, any team, has the Rams or Titans been within 20 points? Of the Bills here in these first two weeks, if they can be within two scores, if they're within 13 points, that's a very impressive showing from the Dolphins that, like, hey, the Bills are are clear-cut, look like the best team in the NFL after the first two weeks. We were hanging with them. 
We only, I mean, no, nobody says, hey, that was a good loss. They don't say that in the NFL. But the media, all of us can. We can say, wow, that was a pretty good loss. The team won't, but we can say that. Or if they get blown out by the Bills, it's just, oh, the Bills are that freaking good. Like, wow, the Bills are an um, uh, absolutely unbeatable right now, it looks like. And it's just the Dolphins were next. And that's that's okay, <laughs> you know? Would we would just be that much impressed with the Bills as long as like Tua doesn't throw like four picks and the Bills like route them like forty to seven or something like that. If Tua throws two hundred and fifty yards, two touchdowns, and they lose still in a blowout like thirty seven to twenty, then it's just oh, the Bills are that good. Tua didn't play horrible. Tua didn't play bad at all, actually. The Bills are just that good. Almost a win win for the Dolphins, but this will be an exciting game. Tyreek Hill Jalen Waddell both had over 170 reception yards in that week two comeback win against the Ravens. And now the Bills, and like I said, the reason that this one is going to be so exciting, the Bills have some injury issues on that defense, like I mentioned to the secondary. So there's going to be some backups who are still very good backups. This is, like I said, a very talented and deep Buffalo Bills team. But still backups against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell after what we saw what they did to that Ravens secondary. The Bills are still favored because their offense looks – I think they punted once this season so far. They've punted once this season. Are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. This is going to be a very – this is division rivals to the Dolphins and the Bills. This is going to be a very good game in week three here. It's almost – it's a little bit of a measuring stick. They passed the first measuring stick test on how they would – they looked like they were about to be blown out by the Ravens. It's like, all right, it's all coming to fruition Dolphins aren't ready to compete in the AFC yet. All of a sudden, legendary comeback. Now it's like, wow, can they actually compete with the Bills now at the top of the AFC? Should be a very exciting Week 3 matchup between these division rivals. And then the last team that has just come out on fire has been the Kansas City Chiefs, like another duh team. But still, beating the Chargers, which a lot of people thought, hey, the Chargers could win the AFC West this year. They put up 40-plus points on the Cardinals in Week 1. No more Tyreek Hill. No problem, really, for Patrick Mahomes. He's finding guys like Justin Watson. He's hitting guys like uh, Mecole Hardman. He's using his running back like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire a bunch out of the backfield. I mean, he's just hitting guys. I mean, he's not even using Juju Smith-Schuster that much yet. Obviously, they still have the best tight end in football in Travis Kelsey. But still, a lot of people were picking the Chargers to win that game on Thursday, to win the division as well. And it looks like the Chiefs at 2-0. and with the Broncos struggling a little bit at 1-1, one and one, the Raiders at 0-2, and, and the Chargers having questions with Justin Herbert's health, here the Chiefs are humming along at 2-0. and Chiefs, of course, have come out on fire to start the season. A lot of concerns with Tyree Hill being traded. No concerns now. Chiefs, 2-0. I mean, I know the Giants are 2-0. and I mean, wins against the Panthers and then who? I mean, the Titans. That was a crazy comeback. Saquon Barkley looks healthy which is fun for the NFL, but I don't expect them to be competing for the playoffs this year, especially with Daniel Jones. Brian Dayball has gotten off to a great start, though, in New York, so that's good for him. Who are some of the other teams? I mean, the Jets at 1-1, one and one, no, especially in that AFC East with the Bills and the Dolphins. Here's my personal top 10 power rankings to start the season. I've got the Bills as the number one team in the NFL right now with the Chiefs right behind them. You can't. I mean, we have said the Bills look like the clear-cut number one team in the NFL, and that's because of the teams that they have just absolutely demolished these first two weeks, the defending Super Bowl champs, 
and the defending number one seed in the AFC, Tennessee Titans. So the Bills are number one, but the Chiefs are right there. I don't know when they play this season. I thought I had that written down. But they play later this season. That's going to be, again, it, it, it always is. It's going to be an awesome game. And then you, you hope you get that in the AFC championship game, not in the divisional round. So then that the winner of that game gets to go on to the Super Bowl. But it's Bills, Chiefs, one and two right now. Then three, I've got the Eagles. I've got them as the best team in the NFC right now. The Buccaneers are at four. They're two and oh. Like I said, I have some concerns about this team right now. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bet against Tom Brady. <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't work for anybody that does. And it's still a very long season. Hopefully his personal uh, situation gets resolved in a good way for him. But then I'm not concerned. I'm not too concerned about the Buccaneers. I was just bringing up some of the early season issues that they've been having, but yet here they are, still two and zero. So I got the Buccaneers at four. The Chargers right now, I have them at five. They competed step for step. I thought with the Chiefs, and that was even when Justin Herbert started to have those problems. They will fall down this list if Justin Herbert is out for multiple weeks, or if he is unable to play through the pain well. You know, say we watch this Jaguars game in week three here and Justin, Ger- Justin Herbert, excuse me, not Justin Jefferson, Justin Herbert struggles fl- throwing the ball downfield, which is something that he's one of the best of in the NFL. If he struggles getting the ball downfield to Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, then they will probably fall down this list. But right now this is a very good team still in, in the NFL. I have the Packers at six, 49ers at seven. I have the Dolphins at eight. After what we've seen these first two weeks, they have to be in the top 10. And this will be a big-time test. They could they could rise up this list, even losing to the Bills. It just depends on how they show. If they beat the Bills, oh, my goodness, they'll probably be a top-five team. They'll probably be considered a top-five team in the overreactions. In the, not the overreactions, but just the reaction to if the Dolphins win this game will be incredible, which is just why it's so exciting waiting for this game, Bills-Dolphins, this week. I have the Ravens at 9. I had to put the Ravens behind the Dolphins after that loss to them. And then I have the Rams, the defending champs, at 10. I'm very interested to see how the Rams respond after kind of two subpar weeks to begin this season. But those are my personal power rankings, the top 10 in the NFL right now. I'm excited. I love the NFL. Week 3 is upon us and will answer even more questions for us as the season goes along. Let's get to some quick big news injury updates. I mentioned Trey Lance earlier. He has a fractured ankle that he suffered in week two, will miss the rest of the season. This sucks. You hate injuries so much because now he basically misses the first two seasons, his first two seasons in the NFL. Also, I mentioned it earlier, missed a lot of the 2020 college season due to COVID. Not that he had COVID, he just decided not to play because of COVID. And hasn't played a consistent amount of football in almost three years. I mean, it's a very tough situation for a young player on the cusp of becoming possibly a next star quarterback. We didn't know what we were going to get yet. Now we still have to wait, and hopefully he's okay and he can come back from I mean, a fractured ankle, that's a big deal, especially for a mobile quarterback like Trey Lance. Hopefully he can come back from that. I mean, like the 49ers, they have the ultimate insurance policy. Insurance policy. Insurance? Sorry insurance policy in Jimmy Garoppolo 49ers now very lucky that they still were able to hang on to him I mean there was teams out there that could have that could have taken him 
the Falcons, I mean, you know, the Panthers. I mean, look at their quarterback situations right now. Here he is still now with the 49ers, and it's gonna. I think it's going to be a very similar to the teams that we've seen in the past two to three years. They could potentially win their division if the Rams stumble, but I expect them to be competing at least for a wild card spot. And then once they're a wild card team, I mean, they are very. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is very good in the playoffs at getting his team. They could easily win the wild card game. They could win a divisional round as well. But it's it's when it comes to the big moments in close games, can Jimmy G be the guy to deliver? So we'll see. Dak Prescott mentioned him a little bit earlier as well. He hurt his throwing thumb in week one, likely going to miss a month up to six weeks. I mean, I know Jerry Jones was hoping for a four-week recovery, less than four weeks possibly, but he's just he's just unrealistic. You can't, <laughs> can't fault him for hoping, but I just don't think it's going to be less than four weeks. I'm expecting something around six weeks. TJ Watt for the Steelers going to miss the first six weeks with a torn peck that he suffered in week one, and boy, does that Steelers defense just look atrocious, almost, almost atrocious without TJ Watt. They are probably the worst run defense in the NFL now that he's gone. Haven't been able to get after the quarterback the same way, obviously, when you lose last year's sack leader, tied the NFL record in sacks last season. Now he's out for the first six weeks, but boy, the Steelers don't watch out. I mean, they might have the first losing season in Mike Tomlin's era. He's gone 15 straight seasons without a losing record. That's He's only one of four coaches to do that. Bill Belichick, or it's actually not, it's his first 15 seasons, but any 15 season stretch without a losing season, only four coaches have done it. I believe it's Bill Belichick, Tom Landry, and it was it George Hallis was the other one, but that's a, just a crazy list. But they're on the cusp of, of losing their first season with Mike Tomlin as head coach with the Mitch Trubisky struggles and now missing TJ Watt for six weeks. We mentioned Justin Herbert. He's day to day right now. He's questionable going up to this week three with the broken rib cartilage. Hopefully, he'll be all right. Mike Evans, we've mentioned this too, suspended for week three for starting a brawl in that Bucks Saints game. I mean, these two teams, the Bucks and the Saints, they just, and in particular, Marshawn Lattimore, the cornerback that which Mike Evans started this brawl with, they do not like each other whatsoever. And we get this game two times a year. I don't know what they're going to tell these teams before the second matchup, but it's going to have to change something because we have seen fight after fight with these two teams when they meet up. And they meet up twice a, twice a season, so that's no good. We haven't seen George Kittle yet to start this year. It's looking like he might play in Week 3, so that's really good news. Keenan Allen, Michael Pittman, Chris Godwin, Alvin Kamara, they've all missed a week due to injury already. It looks like some of these guys are looking to return in Week 3, mostly Allen, Pittman, and Kamara. Godwin not quite ready to return yet this season. And then we mentioned the Bills secondary. All right. One thing I also wanted to get to here, fantasy football to start the season. We're, we're two weeks in. I want to tell you about what the strategy was that I went with this year. I mentioned it and I teased it a couple times before the season started. I didn't want to give it away, obviously, before the draft started. But the strategy that I wanted to try and employ this year is called a zero RB strategy. What that means is the first couple rounds of your fantasy football draft, you're avoiding running backs. So first round, you take a wide receiver, maybe a guy like Cooper Cup, maybe a guy like Justin Jefferson. In my case, I had the 11th pick. I took a guy like Stefan Diggs. In the second round, then you take another receiver or you can take a tight end. 
you can take a guy like a Tyreek Hill, a Mike Evans, um, a C.D. Lamb. In my case, I took C.D. Lamb. So the first round pick absolutely paid off a ton. C.D. Lamb in the second round, that one hasn't been paying off yet. As his quarterback got injured, he's also missing some other weapons, so he's just getting absolute double teams all over the place. I'm hoping that it pays off in the long run. Third round, you still don't take a wide receiver, or you still don't take a running back. You can if you want, but you're not going to get a guy like Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Najee Harris. You're not going to get Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey. Those are the first two overall picks probably. Austin Eckler is a top five pick as well. You're not going to get, obviously, any of those guys, but you're also going to miss out on guys like Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette. You're going to miss out on those guys who are going in the back end of the second round. So this zero RB strategy, your first three picks are not running backs. So you're usually trying to load up on wide receivers, maybe a tight end in there as well. But that was something that I tried this year. How it worked out for me, my first two rounds, like I said, I got Stefan Diggs. He's the number one wide receiver in fantasy football through two weeks. Awesome. That paid off great. CD Lamb, round two. That one hasn't paid off yet. <laughs> like I said, Dak Prescott's injury and the lack of weapons on the Cowboys offense have led to a lot of double teams on CD Lamb. So that one hasn't paid off yet. Third round, Brandon Cooks. Now you have another number one wide receiver on the team with the Texans. He's been in the double digits of points, but he hasn't been exploding. There's some guys out there like Amon Ross St. Brown that I could have taken, who is just an absolute monster to start this season so far. And then fourth round is when I took my first running back, and this is where I made my first big mistake. There was a guy like Nick Chubb available, who is, I believe at this point, one of the he's a top three running back in fantasy football to start the season. And I skipped out on him there for a guy like Travis Etienne, who I thought had a lot of upside with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that was my first big mistake. But what the zero RB strategy is supposed to do is you load up on talent at wide receiver. So I could have had guys like Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill, and then maybe like a Mike Williams in the third round, right? You have elite wide receivers on your fantasy football team. And then you take guys at running back. Like I have Kareem Hunt and A.J. Dillon and Travis Etienne where they might be splitting time on the offense with some of these other guys. But these guys are still, at least it's, it's a splitting offense where they're going to still average around 10 to 15 points a game in the season. And so if you can get that kind of production out of these lower tier running backs, like I said, not guys like Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris, Elvin Kamara, Joe Mixon. Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette, you're not getting guys like that. You're getting them maybe three, two, three tiers below those kind of guys, but you have top-tier wide receivers on your team. You're then supposed to grab a top-tier tight end as well. And it was supposed to, it was, it was working initially, but I've started the wrong running backs in a couple of these weeks. So I'm 1-1 one in, one in one of my fantasy football leagues. In the other ones, I'm 0-2. Because, of, like I said, starting the wrong running backs is just one of those things, and that's how fantasy football goes. You could have all the right pieces in place, and then, boom, out of nowhere, some guy goes off for 30 points. I mean, Tua Tagovailoa went off for 40 points in Week 2, and I and the, and the guy that I'm facing in Week 2 has Tyreek Hill. So he also goes off for 40 points. That's what, also, that's what makes fantasy football frustrating, but also you love it about fantasy football when it happens for you. So it'll come. I'm not too worried that the thing with the teams that I drafted is it's a season-long thing. 
with some of these guys. The zero RB strategy could have been perfect. You just got to You just make sure you got to get the right guys. The guys that and there were some things that I thought weren't going to happen this season that have happened. I thought Tyreek Hill might take a step back because I didn't believe Tua Tagovailoa was ready to be a top a franchise quarterback, and he has proved me wrong so far in these first two weeks. So Tyreek Hill drafting him in the middle of the second round for fantasy football looks like an absolute steal right now at this point. Jalen Waddell was a fourth-round wide receiver. Absolute steal right now at this point. Remember, it's a long season. But I'm not happy about starting 0-2 in a couple of my leagues, that's for sure, especially when you score a lot of points but lose to someone who has guys like Tua, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell. That's tough. That's tough for sure. But I'm excited about my teams. I'm not panicking. Like I said, I'm, I'm in this one for the long haul in terms of some of these running backs that I have selected and are hoping pay off by the time it's like week six, week five or six, then my team starts hitting on all cylinders. Some of the studs to absolutely start the season in fantasy football, Cooper Cup, I don't know why we even questioned if, if it should be him or Justin Jefferson as the number one wide receiver. Cooper Cup already has double-digit receptions in both games, and when you're playing fantasy football, you get a point for every time he catches the ball as well. He's got 29 receptions to start the first two games, over 250 yards and three touchdowns. This dude is a guaranteed 25 points per game in fantasy football. I don't know. We should have just taken him number one overall, locked it in. You got 25 points a week. Don't worry about it. That's how good Cooper Cup is. Even if the Rams, like I said, like the Rams lost big time in week one, and Cooper Cup still had 30 points in fantasy. That's how fantasy works. Your team can suck. But but one of these guys can still go off for 30 points, and Cooper Cup is that guy. It's absolutely mind-blowing how good of a, in terms of fantasy, Cooper Cup has been to fantasy league managers. Stefan Diggs, three touchdowns in week two, over 120 yards receiving in week one, and a touchdown. He's the number one wide receiver right now. He's been a stud. Tyreek Hill who I was not expecting to be a stud, is a stud. Saquon Barkley, he was a third-round draft pick, second or third-round draft pick in a lot of leagues. He's the number one running back in fantasy football. He's healthy. It's very exciting to see a healthy Saquon Barkley running on the field right now. He has been a monster stud to start the season. Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, more running backs. I mean, the Lions have two studs on offense in terms of fantasy football and DeAndre Swift, Amon Ross St. Brown. The wide receiver that last year came onto the scene late, he's getting eight catches a game. He's, he's If he gets eight catches this week against the Vikings, he breaks an NFL record for consecutive games with eight-plus receptions. It's unbelievable. And the Lions are one and one. And I, I, I would pick them to beat the Minnesota Vikings this week, to go to two and one, possibly be the leaders in, of the division after three weeks. Crazy stuff from the from the. Detroit Lions, and then Jalen Waddell, another Miami Dolphin. It helps early in the season when you have just a 40-point game. You're, you're considered a stud easily in the first two weeks of fantasy football. A couple guys, though, that have been struggling out of the gate, some big-time running backs. I just mentioned a lot of wide receivers up there, which is why I wanted to try the zero RB strategy because running backs get hurt a lot more often than wide receivers usually. Knock on wood, hopefully nobody gets hurt. But when some of these big-name running backs go down, you can pick up backups. You can pick up timeshare guys that then can go off for 20 points 
in a week. You know, so Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris, Alvin Kamara, some of these guys have struggled to start the season. Travis Etienne, CeeDee Lamb, two guys on my team struggling to start the season. But like Derrick Henry was like maybe the fifth overall pick. Dalvin Cook was a top 10 pick. Najee Harris, a top 10 pick. Alvin Kamara, a top 10 pick. Where all these wide receivers have been booming because it's a passing league and where some of these running backs where if they're not getting five passes out of the backfield, they're struggling to begin the season. Which is why I wanted to try this zero RB strategy. Hasn't fully paid off yet, but it's one of those strategies that down as the season goes along is hopefully going to pay off for me is what I'm banking on. But I'm fantasy football, it takes up a lot of your time. I mean, I'm still like scouring other teams, see which guys are, are willing to trade, which guys they're willing to trade, who are who am I willing to trade? You know, like I have Michael Thomas on my team from the Saints. He has started really good. The first two games of the season, he has scored three touchdowns already. But he's still got some injury concerns, and he's got Jameis Winston throwing him the ball. We saw what Jameis Winston just did against the Buccaneers, three interceptions. Fantasy football is both incredible and the most frustrating thing at the same time. It's unreal. I love it. All right, that was an update on fantasy football. I'll keep you updated throughout the season as we go along. Some of the just absolute studs to the season we've already mentioned the early ones here, and then we'll see if my zero RB strategy pays off in the long run for the season to come. All right, final thought on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. MLB, we're within 10 to 12 games remaining, and we've got two historic performances on the season. We'll start with the legendary Albert Pujols. He hit two home runs just last night, Friday night, September 23rd. Two home runs gets him to... 700 career home runs. He announced before the season began that this was going to be his final year playing in the league. He was 21 home runs away. I don't know when the last time he had hit 20 home runs in a season, but he had been struggling with injury and just playing time. He was getting maybe some pinch hitting at bats. He gets traded, or I think he either gets cut and signed, or it just he ends up back with his first team where he just became an absolute superstar with the St. Louis Cardinals. And he has hit 21 home runs this season to get to 700 for his career. Fourth player ever, Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth. Those are the other three guys with over 700 career home runs. He also has 3,000 career hits. I believe it's just him and Hank Aaron that have numbers like that. I, of course, am not a St. Louis Cardinals fan. I have always somewhat been a small fan of Albert Pujols, this was so cool to see him get 700 career home runs. I was hoping that he didn't end the season on like 699 with in the last game of the season, and then he'd have to come back for like five games to start the 2023 MLB season. But man, it is the coolest thing watching history like that in Albert Pujols. He hit two home runs. He hit his 699th and his 700th home run in the same game. That was incredible. To watch and then you see all the reaction from people all over the baseball sport it was very cool another guy chasing history Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees he is sitting at 60 home runs for the season the American League record is 61 and he's got 12 games remaining I mean the the, the MLB record is 
72 with Barry Bonds. There are some people who don't consider that the MLB record. Then there's Mark McGuire who hit 70 home runs and Sammy Sosa who hit, was it 68 or 67 home runs? People don't consider that the record either because of the steroid era when these guys hit these home runs and the steroid use that they have been accused of or actually have been found guilty of using steroids as well when they hit these monster 70 home run seasons. A lot of people don't consider that the real record. I do consider 72 the MLB season record by Barry Bonds, but that's in the National League. Now you got the American League, which people are, this, this 61 home run record is held by Roger Maris back in, oh boy, it's got to be over 70 years old this record has stood. And this is now Aaron Judge is hitting against the best pitchers that baseball has ever seen, where Roger Maris was not hitting against the guys that Aaron Judge that Aaron Judge is hitting against. So this is just an absolutely incredible performance. He every at bat these days is being shown in a two box on Sports Center, on ESPN, any sports channel, Fox. They're making sure that they show his next at bat, because that could be home run number sixty one. I think he gets over 61, he's got 12 games remaining. I think, I think 63 is where he ends on the season. But then the big debate is, should Aaron Judge, with all this history, he leads the American League in batting average, on-base percentage, runs batted in, total runs, home runs, of course, all this stuff, yet, should he be the AL, should he be the MVP over Shohei Otani? You remember Shohei Otani? The bait, the the one of the best hitters and one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. This guy just struck out his two hundredth, his two hundredth batter of the year. That is a huge feat for pitchers of any kind to get to two hundred strikeouts in a season. He just did that. He's also got over thirty home runs this year. Just the it's it's why it's almost unfair what Shohei Otani is doing when it comes to the AL MVP award because he should get it every year, right? But then you have Judge, who's hitting 60 home runs this year. The next closest in home runs on the season is Kyle Schwarber, and he's got 40. There, That's unprecedented to have that big of a gap between the home run leader and the guy in second place with home runs. But the reason that this is such a debate is because Shohei Otani is hitting the ball every night and then once every five days, he is shutting down the opposing team with his pitching. That's unbelievable. That's had, that Both of these guys have having historic seasons. Shohei Otani's is, of course, going a little bit less noticed because his team is not making the playoffs. It's very funny. You, you, you'll see all these social media posts of Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, the two superstars on the Los Angeles Angels. These guys will have big nights, you know, combined for three home runs. Shohei Otani will strike out eight guys, and the Los Angeles Angels will still somehow lose like five to three or five to four. How that happens, I have no idea. They have the two probably best players in baseball, and they can't make the playoffs. But what Shohei Otani does, both as a pitcher and a hitter, has it will it has never been seen, and you're not sure it will ever be seen again in our lifetimes. That's why it's almost unfair that he should be the MVP every year, but then Aaron Judge puts on a season for the ages. We have 60 home runs is unbelievable, especially with the best pitchers that the MLB has ever seen. It's a clean era of baseball where nobody's taking steroids anymore. 
And so that's why, I mean, it shouldn't be a debate. It should not be a debate. It should be Aaron Judge, no questions asked. Send in your ballot. Aaron Judge is the unanimous MVP. But then what Shohei Otani does makes this a very interesting debate. Shohei Otani thinks he's having a better year this year than last year. And he may very well be right. He's still hitting almost 35 home runs this year. Last year, I think he had just over 40 home runs. And now this year, he has been pitching way more. Once every five days, I think, he's got 200 strikeouts on the season, which is a milestone mark for a lot of pitchers. He's probably top 10 in strikeouts this year. And this guy is one of the best hitters in baseball, too. It's unbelievable. I think Aaron Judge should be the American League MVP. But Shohei Otani, after this season, you're getting, this is what you have to do to win the AL MVP over Shohei Otani. You have to hit 60 home runs, basically. You have to win the Triple Crown, which is lead the league in batting average, lead the league in home runs, and lead the league in runs batted in. That's what it's going to take to beat Otani for the AL MVP. That's incredible. You need this kind of season, and we're still debating who the AL MVP is. It's mind-blowing. It's very interesting to me. I love it. I really hope Aaron Judge gets to over 61. I'm sure he will with over with 12 games remaining. But here's the playoff races then as we come down to it with 10 to 12 games left in the season. The NL wild card is the closest one left. There's three teams with two spots left up for grabs. The Philadelphia Phillies, they are a half game up over both of these teams. The San Diego Padres have the last wild card spot, and then the Milwaukee Brewers are two games back. So one of these three teams will not be making the playoffs. It's going to come right down to it. The Brewers have had many chances to get themselves back into that wild card spot, and they just haven't taken advantage. We'll see how it comes down to it with these last couple of games of the season. The National League East, the New York Mets have a two and a half game lead over the Atlanta Braves. That's a very close one. Whoever wins that division will hopefully avoid the Los Angeles Dodgers in the wild card round of the playoffs. That's the hope, in, in the, and that's why you want to win, or even in the divisional round of the playoffs. That's the hope in winning your division there. Cleveland Guardians, this was a lot closer like three days ago. They only had a four-game lead. Now they have an eight-game lead over the Chicago White Sox for the AL Central, so I'm going to say right now that the Cleveland Guardians are going to win the AL Central. And then this one's really cool. The Baltimore Orioles are only three games back of the last AL wildcard spot. This team was has been like dead last, has been like the worst team in baseball for the past five-plus seasons, and now they're right there of making the playoffs as a wildcard team. I don't think. I think they're about to run out of time, but they've been one of the better teams to end the second half of the baseball season. But a lot of very exciting stuff in baseball with Aaron Judge, Albert Pujols, Shohei Otani having the year that he's having. And then we have some close races coming down to the wire here. All right. Final, final thought then on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Next week's episode, this is what we have to catch up on a lot. College football. I think we are going into week four. I mean, we're going to talk about this Wisconsin-Ohio State game. Could be for a long time. Could be a 20-minute conversation. Could be a five-minute conversation. I think you know why. But I'm, I'm, I'm about to go watch that game right now, actually. As I end this podcast, we're hoping for the 20-minute conversation, and I think you know why it would be 20 minutes about the Badgers after that game. We'll see. NBA news that we have to catch up on as well. There's been a big trade 
not involving the New York Knicks that we thought, and not involving the Brooklyn Nets, two teams we thought would be in on these big uh, trade discussions before the season begins. Not so much, but we still have a big trade that we'll have to discuss. We have a coaching suspension that is big news in the NBA as well with the Boston Celtics that we'll get to, and an in-season tournament that the NBA is planning on trying this, I believe it's this upcoming season. All the other thing for college football, I almost forgot. They're going to be expanding college football playoffs in, I think, three or four years. 2026, I believe, is the year that expands to 12 teams, and we'll talk about that as well. We also have tennis legends retiring on both sides, Serena Williams and Roger Federer, and we'll discuss them at the end of next week's episode. And then, of course, NFL Week 3 reactions. Can we go full panic mode on either the Titans or Raiders next week? We shall see. But that's all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for sticking through it. And I'm very excited for next week's episode as well. Make sure you tune in then. As always, stay safe out there. You are listening to the Final Final.